Super Talk Mississippi media production. Or pre record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson with you today from the First Bank Studios at Laurel and Hattiesburg. Glad you're tuned in, whether it's online or through one of our Super Talk affiliate stations. We're glad to have you. Going to be talking to a couple of former football players, Rolando Bergen is going to join us here in just a moment, defensive lineman for the Golden Eagles. Also, Jeremy Snowden, or Snowden, who was a special teams expert, and I mean a really good one, for Southern Miss as well. He's going to be on the show. Kelly Santer will be joining us a little later in the program as well. So uh, we have a full hour in store for you. Opening segment of the show today, sponsored by Dickey's Barbecue Pit. Great supporters of the university and the Eagle Hour. We enjoy their delicious food seven days a week. You can, too. They have the restroom. uh, The dining room is rather reopened now. You can dine in. You can uh, take a takeout. You can have that delicious Dickie's food delivered right to your house. But wherever you are and whatever you're doing, be sure you support your local restaurants. And included on the top of that list is Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Orlando Berrigan comes to us from Los Angeles, California this afternoon a former defensive lineman for the Golden Eagles out of El Camino Community College. And, uh, Rolando, welcome to the Eagle Hour, man. We're glad to have you on the show. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. So how do you, how does a young man uh, make his way from Inglewood, California, to Hattiesburg, Mississippi? It was a culture shock, i tell you that. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, Todd Bradford, actually, Larry Fedora at that time, but Head coach was at uh, Oklahoma State, and uh, I was good enough to play with the Golden Eagles. So uh, I got offered a scholarship, and I fell in love with the school. So when you came from, you, I gather you came directly from California here. Uh, what what were the biggest things you had to adjust to, change to, and what were the things that that you liked the most, Rolando? Well, for, I had to slow down a bit. Uh, being from California, L.A. Uh, very fast-paced city. It, it was different. It was a culture shock. It was, it was the southern hospitality was something that I enjoyed. Kind of, kind of made me appreciate life once I uh, adjusted to uh, Hattiesburg. Right. People are very lovable, man, and, and that's what something that I'd always remember. You know, uh, we talked to a lot of former athletes uh, on this program, and a lot of guys like you that that come from other parts of the country come here with one thing in mind, but after they've gotten here and after they become accustomed to living here, they find that Mississippi's far different than what maybe they thought before they came. Was that the case with you? Yes, it is. It's just a different – me being uh, from a Hispanic background, it, it was a culture shock. and uh, It kind of made me appreciate where I was from and how people are in the South a little different in a good way and – as a pros and cons, but uh, I learned to adapt with it, and, and I enjoyed it. I took a piece 
of Hattiesburg with me, and I always will carry. And it tells me how to respect and have hospitality. Well, good. That's that's a good thing to hear. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you played uh, in uh, junior college at El Camino Community College, were you were you playing for your father? Did I read that correctly? Yes, I did. Okay how 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 difficult is that, or or is it not difficult at all to be a player on a team that your dad is coaching? Oh my uh, my! Say it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is it more difficult to play for your father than than if you're just playing for a coach that obviously is not related to you in the way that a dad is? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, it's pressure because he's your dad at home, and then he's your dad on the field. <laughs> so it's, consi- it's consistent pressure, and uh, but I loved it. I loved it, and I, I want to change for anything. I love the pressure, and he kind of engraved that that toughness in me, and that's who I am today, the man I am today, because. Of that toughness, but it is tough, and some guys can't handle it. And uh, I pretty, I kind of, I kind of dealt with it through the years. Right? Do you feel like you have to prove yourself maybe a little more than than the other guys on the team because it is your father? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Every, every day, consistently, you have to do it, even at home. And uh, I kind of applaud him for that because once we came home during a game or or a practice, he always knew how to turn it on and turn it off. Mm-hmm. Went to be the dad and went to be the coach. So right. that was pretty neat. Well, that's good stuff. Luke? Oh, thanks uh, so much for coming on today, man. Um, you, you go from your father, and you come to Hattiesburg, and you talked about how Todd Bradford recruited you. I played for Jeff Bauer in 2007, was Coach Bauer's last season. You got there in Larry Fedora's uh, first season, and it seemed like everybody was just kind of learning things. Coach Fedora was learning, you know, what type of program he had taken over. Of course, he brought a lot of energy. Was it was it different coming in knowing that uh, a longtime coach was had just uh, left and a, a brand new coach was was coming in? Was there any vibe to that during the '08 season? Oh yes, it was definitely. Uh, it, it was our team now. Uh, Fedora, Fedora put that. First thing, it, it's a new culture. I mean, regard, respect to Jeff Bauer and all that. It was just, it was a, it was going to be a different culture, and it was going to be uh, fat, uh, smart, fast, and physical. That was his slogan, our slogan, and they were very good at that. We we, we had we were narrow minded. We just wanted to win, and and we believed in him. We believed in him and Todd Bradford, and and when we did what we did after a couple of years, these guys won. Set the, we set the foundation, and the guys uh, won the championship. Uh, I want to say 2012, I believe. 2011, so yeah. 2011. So, yeah. It you know, and and that first season, there were a lot of people that were just scratching their heads through eight games. Golden Eagles uh, had had uh, to that point, I believe, 15 straight winning seasons. And our our fourteen straight winning seasons, and uh, you start off one and one, and then you just start losing. And all of us who had played before, we were like, "This may be the year that the winning streak ends." And you and I were talking about right uh, right before we went on air about how Gerald McGrath grabs me after the Troy Bowl game when we have a winning season, and it continues. So excited about that! What flipped in that season where you guys just rattled off five straight wins and, and ended that season in a bowl victory and got a winning uh, continue the winning season streak? I want to say I want to say week seven, I believe. Uh, I don't know who we were playing, but we had a meeting. We had a team meeting, and uh, Fedora just put everything, all the cards on the table. Look, man, we're going to do this, and we're going to play for this, 
And if you're with it, because there was always going to be dialogue about the former players, obviously, right? Guys with Bauer and all that. But he said, we're going to do this. And it's going to take the win. You guys have to do it. Us coaches, we can't do it. You guys got, got to go out there and perform. And it just clicked for us. I forgot what game we won. It just went on that winning streak, eight-game winning streak, and carried on to the next season. So we just made up in our mind what we had to do, and we finally believed in the whole philosophy of Fedora, what he brought to the table. So, Orlando, how important was it to you guys to keep that winning streak alive? Was that something that was on your minds, uh, and and did you feel it was important to keep that tradition, not be the team that breaks that long winning streak? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Even uh, Gerald McGrath, being my uh, my host, uh, my recruiting host, he he always talked about that winning tradition. You know, whatever bowl games in a row, 26, 28 bowl games appearances in a row. Next to Florida State, but uh, yeah, that, that was that was a big factor for us. We just we knew in our heart having Austin Davis and the other guys on defense, Gerald McGrath and myself, that we just needed one game to get us over the hump and and it sparked the winning streak. And that's what it was. Right, you played with right. a mighty good quarterback, didn't you, in Austin? Oh, Davis. That guy was a stud, man. That guy, that guy is a stud. That 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 guy off. That guy he might have to be the next head coach. And he takes my vote. <laughs> hey Rolando about a minute left can you put into perspective uh for Southern Miss listeners because this is a name even though he's he's up there on the charts he gets he gets forgotten sometimes can you explain as a defensive lineman to our listeners how good Damian Fletcher was as a college football player oh he was a stud he was a stud he he was a savvy football player he was like a Le'Veon Bell savvy tough player very humble kid you know, needed to get a little bigger in the weight room. That's why the NFL guys didn't give him a shot, the whole politic deal. But very, in practice, just phenomenal athlete. I remember I remember we had a, a volleyball tournament, you know, to get the team uh, team closer. And Fedora was like, Fletcher was on my team. And I must say, his, he jumped so high, his, his toes were on my face. <laughs> this guy, this guy was a phenomenal athlete, man. So not very honestly, very underrated after Southern Miss. Yeah, you're and right I, about that. Yeah, I think that's a, fair. I want to say he was a freakish athlete. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think he probably has not getting the has not gotten the credit uh, that he should have gotten. All right, real quick, Rolando, you're in Los Angeles, and you told me you were a physical ed teacher, right? Yes, I am. Well, good for you, man. Hey, look, we really appreciate you taking the time to call us across the country. Pleasure talking to you, and we wish you nothing but the best uh, as you continue along in your life. Likewise. So we get to the top, always. There we go. To the Ro- top. Rolando Berrigan, everybody. 295-pound defensive lineman when he was here. Now a phys ed teacher in Los Angeles, California. All right, we're going to talk to another player. Jeremy Snowden is next on the Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, I want to thank uh, Rolando Berenger for joining us in the first segment. Great interview with that young man out in California. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart at campusbookmart.net. Great place to buy Southern Miss apparel for your house, for your car, for your body. 
You can uh, shop now six days a week. They're back open on Hardy Street, right across the street from campus. Or you can go online at campusbookmart.net. All right, we're going to continue along the theme of football today. We've got another great uh, former football player. Jeremy Snowden uh, played for the Golden Eagles from 2008 through 2011. The press guide describes him as a special teams extraordinaire. And he had an incredible 19 tackles on special teams just in his sophomore and junior year. And I believe another six or seven his freshman year. Jeremy, welcome to the Eagle Hour. Glad to be here. How y'all doing today? Well, good, man. We're glad to do, uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, I always love talking to guys that uh, that are are willing to get out on the field and give a hundred and fifty percent on special teams because clearly those are some of the most violent confrontations you see in football uh, when you're running full speed, you know, fifty, sixty yards down the field and colliding with uh, with another guy. And apparently, you were. As good as ever played here uh, when it came to special teams. What is the secret, Jeremy, to being such an outstanding special teams specialist? You know, it's it's, it's all about, you know, working hard, just trying to do anything you can to to help the team win. Like you say, special teams is a big part of the game, and it can can turn the game within a blink of an eye. And, you know, we have great players. You know, most guys, don't get a chance to, you know, be a starter. <clears throat> uh, we'll get time to play, but, you know, if you get a chance to play on special teams and make an impact for your team, you know, that's that's great. That's a great feeling. Well, no question. And you are a starter. You know what I'm saying? If you're starting on the special teams, you're a starter on right. the football team. And and uh, how many football games are won or lost in special teams play a lot, right? Right. That's every game. <laughs> right. Right. What what was your favorite part of of being on special teams? I mean, you you obviously racked up just an extraordinary number of tackles. What what was it about it you enjoyed so much? It just just say you get the opening kickoff, and man, it's is there something about getting the crowd pumped and going down there and getting the defense the ball, putting them in a good situation. And like I remember, we played UAB one game, went down there, <clears throat> right. Got a, um, a fourth formal, script fourth formal, and got the defensive ball back. Man, it was it was amazing, man. Great feeling. Right now, you come in as a redshirt freshman under Coach Bauer. Coach mm-hmm. Bauer leaves that year, and then you end up playing your four years uh, after your redshirt year for Coach uh, Larry Fedora. Right. Try try to put in perspective how different the two men were. It, it, man, it's it totally different. I came in. Um, I played quarterback. I came in to uh, USM basically playing wide receiver. My red shirt year, I was on scout team playing wide receiver. <clears throat> and uh, Coach Bow, he's you know he's like a defensive minded coach. And then Coach Fedora comes in, he's offensive minded, and it's just you're trying to learn different schemes, different different people. And but both of them was fun. Real great guys. Both of them great coaches, and then ask for a better staff. Right, Luke. Jeremy, thanks so much for being on. You are you continue in a long line of guys who took pride in special teams. Before I got to Southern Miss in '01, in the late '90s, there was a guy named Michael Villalonga, and he got on the field for special teams. They had a big sign in the student section that said the Villa people, 
And that dude would run down, and that's when you could do wedges back in the day. And he would just like, he was the wedge buster. And he would, it is so important, like you just said a minute ago, from the very beginning of the kickoff to establish momentum. Was there was there a favorite phase of the special teams that, that you enjoyed playing? Oh, man, all of them. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed all of them, man. It's, just, it's fun. It's exciting. You had guys like myself, Martez Smith, Tim Green, Cameron O'Neill, man. We just took pride in it. And we always used to make little bets like, hey, I'm, I'm going to get the first tackle of the game or my guy won't do this. You know, there's, there's different stuff to keep the, keep the team up, and it, it made it fun. You talked about uh, transitioning to to Coach Fedora. Was it hard? We talked to one of your teammates, uh, Rolando Berrigan, last last segment. Was it hard to buy in? I, I get it if you come in under Fedora and that's all you've known. Was mm-hmm. it hard for some of you guys that were under Coach Bauer to buy into an entirely different uh, philosophy and, I guess, approach uh, to the program? Well, for me, I, I was only there for one year with uh with Bauer. You know, he treated everybody like family. So it wasn't a big big difference for me, a big turnaround. But I, I think some of the other guys, you know, this this all they knew and uh <clears throat> for Fedora to come in and basically say, Hey, this is how we're gonna run things and this is my way we're gonna do it. It took a little time for guys to, you know, see, hey, he really mean business, but I think it was a easy easy transition for most guys. I want to take you back to to a game. It would have been your redshirt sophomore year. Everybody remembers this game. Virginia came in uh, into the Rocket ACC opponent, and we probably played the worst quarter and a half that you could ever play. Find ourselves down two scores, and then we start chipping away. And you look mm-hmm. up when the game's over with the Eagles defeat Virginia at home, thirty-seven to thirty-four. That, that kind of it kind of was a, a a picture of you know. I, I felt like it was that moment, Jeremy, when when the team officially bought into what Larry Fedora was trying to sell. It took about a year and a half, um, mm-hmm. but I felt like that was the day when they said, you know, we can beat national teams in, in Power Five conferences. Yep, yep. And every year, since Fedora's first year, <clears throat> every year we were a couple games away from getting to the championship. And it was like, man, it, it, it's just something. You know, we got to find that. The chip on our so we got to we got to come in with a chip on our shoulder because we we're one or two games away from getting to the point where we want to be, and we was like, man, we here this is our moment. We can't let nothing stop us. Yeah, now Jeremy, I'm gonna take you to another game. I'm gonna take you to the conference championship game in 2011, oh, and yeah. uh, we were laughing uh, off uh, off air about a, a scene uh, where they go to a. A, a cutaway and showing Houston fans, and there's a Houston fan there, and, and you can see what she's saying. She's clearly saying, "What's going on?" Right. Well, what was going on is they were they were taking a butt whipping, and uh, oh, yeah. in a game that USM was just given no chance at all to win by the the quote unquote experts. What was it about you guys that day? <laughs> That you unleashed on the unexpecting Houston Cougars, right? It, it's just you know when people never give you a chance at something, and you have something to prove. You're gonna do whatever it takes. You know you, you're gonna do whatever it takes to win. And and we went in that game with a mindset that we we here to stay, and y'all gonna have to put us off the field. You, it, everybody was talking about you know Case Keenum, Heisman candidate. They got the number one scoring offense in the NCAA at the time, but. Nobody never thought about 
we had like the top five ranking defense in the in the nation at the time, you know. Wow. <laughs> so we was like, we're tired of being disrespected, and we got something to prove, and I think we did that. <laughs> well, no question, you did, and, and as it turns out, you had every bit the quarterback on the field they had. Am I correct about that? Oh yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So that was that was your last game, correct? No, we, we went on to well, play. In the Hawaii Bowl. But, that's right, I, and I apologize for that. But that that was your last conference USA uh, football uh-huh. game. What a right. way! What a way to end your career, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was great. What was what was it like in the locker room when the game was over, Jeremy? Oh, it was, it was like a, a relief because, like I said, man, year after year for for at least four years, we was like, man, we we one step away, we one step away. What is it, you know, what is it going to take? And once we got it, it was like, man, this this is a relief. So mm-hmm. amazing, man, the, the best feeling. Was there a point in the game where you could where you could look in the faces of the Houston players and see that they knew they were in trouble? So, it, we, we, um... I think at, at some we went up at like fourteen or nothing, if I'm not mistaken. And some kind of way we started slacking a little bit, and they they came back and tied the game. Next play, uh, Austin Davis threw a pass to the receiver, took it to the house. So that we got on the field as a defense, and we stopped them on fourth down, and came out and blocked the punt and scooped it up and scored it for a touchdown. And that was, that was that was the turning point of the game right there. So at that point, you could see Furious it in their Bradley. eyes. F- Furious, <laughs> Furious. That was Bradley. probably one of the greatest names in the history of Southern Miss. Furious, Furious he Bradley. blocked it. <laughs> he blocked it and he scooped it and scored it. <laughs> Fun talking about these games, isn't it, guys? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so where are you now, Jeremy? What are you doing? I'm, I stay in Liberty, Mississippi now. I'm actually, I work for um, for Entity. I'm a senior security coordinator for Entergy. Um, our headquarters in Jackson, so I work out our headquarters, but I'm stationed in St. Francisville. So, so just, just living life, enjoying life. Well, good good for you, young man. And uh, congratulations, man. You played here at a great time, ended your career on an extraordinarily high note, and it sounds like life is good to you. We're happy for that. We thank you for being on the show, Jeremy. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Jeremy Snowden. One of the great special teams players that's uh, come around for the black and gold and a member of the 2011 Conference Championship football team. The last, am I correct about that, Luke? The last Conference Championship football last team. Last Conference Championship team, that's right. That's right. All right, Kelly Sanders day. Southern Miss to the top. Appreciate Jeremy Snowden for joining us. Also, Rolando Berrigan, both members of uh, Larry Fedora's football team back in uh, 2008-2009, and Jeremy through 2011. Greatly appreciate them coming on and uh, giving you some 
just memories of the past, good stuff from both of those. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And as always, every day, home of the 895 lunch. Swing by there and see our good friend Slade White and his staff at 4th Street Bar and Grill, proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg. And Laurel, Kelly Sander, joins us now on the phone. And, uh, I mean, I, I was awestruck just a minute ago. Uh, Kelly, you usually come on during the break, tell us, you know, what, what stories are brewing or what you got. And, and you said you got nothing today. I find that really hard to believe. Well, no, I have a little something. I have a little something. But it's, it's kind of an editorial comment. And, I, you know, just, just, just when you think you've seen all the craziness you want to see in sports. Now the University of Houston and Washington State University have said that they are going to change their mascots because they don't want to offend older, hot women. <laughs> and that's a good thing that what they're else, doing that, I think. What else you got for us, Kelly? Yeah, what else you got for us? That's the Cougars, in case no one caught that out there. Yeah, I think it's nice that they're being sensitive to that particular segment of our population. It's the age we live in, Kelly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But uh, we should, uh, as we mentioned yesterday, the (laughs) Mississippi Association of Community and Junior College Presidents are meeting today. It was a regularly scheduled meeting. Uh, The athletic directors had met a week or so ago to talk about moving the JUCO season back three or four weeks, but now... When Mississippi today, the state of Mississippi reported a new record high number of coronavirus positive tests at uh, 600 today alone, it just looks more and more like um, you know something's going to have to give here pretty shortly uh, with what's going to happen with college football. And the reason why so many people are looking at the junior colleges is because chronologically the junior college season starts the earliest even earlier than the high schools. So, you know, junior colleges will usually start that third week in, in uh, second to third Thursday in August. The high schools are right behind them, and then the Division One schools behind them. And as you guys mentioned with the Division Three uh, school, already canceling all of its fall sports, you know, and now, these, uh, now the city of Orlando today is reclosing restaurants. Uh, that had that had opened up, so it, you know it, it sure looks like this cycle is going to start all over again, at least right. uh, to some degree. And you know, it just you just don't know where it's going to end. Um, but the presidents, we may know something by the end of the day today. If there's anything new with the junior college football season or, or proposed college football season, we'll have it for you tomorrow. But again, the presidents are meeting today. All right, Kelly, along those lines, I read an article earlier this morning uh, about all of this, COVID-19, all the political unrest, how all of this is really falling right on the shoulders of college football, and how important this moment is. This article indicates that college football, in general, makes up 80% of the athletic revenue for most universities around the state. Ohio State projecting that they're going to lose $300 million this year. Notre Dame, $100 million. Those numbers seem astonishing, but but that's what they're reporting. Kansas State has suspended workouts. Houston has suspended workouts. LSU has over 30 players now in quarantine. You take on top of you take on top of the COVID mess that's uh, on the backs of college football. This 
growing political unrest and 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 comments and statements being made by players that are just not being well received in some you know in some quarters. It, how important is the next three months, four months to the future of college football, Kelly? And if if schools start losing eighty percent of their revenue this fall, how many schools' athletic departments simply go underwater? We've mentioned earlier, you know, going back as early as uh, three months ago, that some schools anticipating that this would happen already have taken steps. You know, among them was, uh, you know, John Gilbert, our former athletic director at Southern Miss, now at East Carolina. They've they've already got a $4.9 million budget shortfall. Um, And we mentioned Washington State. We were joking about it. But, you know, Iowa State, Kansas, a lot of other schools have already started, you know, trimming athletic budgets, uh, cutting full-time staff to, to part-time staff, asking coaches to take uh, pay cuts across the board. And, I mean, it's, you know, my dad, God rest his soul, he said, you, know, if you, don't, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon uh, to, to figure out that there's only so many dollars to go around. And, and that's why the health of all football programs across the country need to be Good because we've because it is the it is the financial bell cow for a lot of these uh, universities and we've mentioned on this program before too I think we've done a really good job of keeping everybody up to date as to what schools have been dropping programs including including East Carolina that dropped their men's and women's uh, swim swim and diving teams I think they uh, uh, dropped track and field as well so that's that has to be the next thing if if football it doesn't happen. Um, so, um, hmm. you say stay tuned, but you even get tired of saying that because we just don't know. All right, Luke Johnson, push comes to shove, and schools have to start deciding between losing eighty percent of their athletic revenue this year, or in some sense endangering the safety of their players and coaches. What are they going to do? I don't know. It's a great answer. Yeah. I, I don't know where you fall on that. Um, again, if we were dealing with, and this is not, I, I don't mean this in a in a bad way, if we were dealing with the Champions Tour on the on, for the PGA, okay, if we're dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Every person playing there is high risk, and I understand people, you know, younger than senior age have have died with with the virus. Um. That's just going to have to be the trade-off. And I, what's sad, I think money might win out in in uh, some people's minds when it's like that. Uh, I, I don't I don't know necessarily that you're going to see a lot of COVID-related deaths among people between 18 to 22. At the same token, if you were to continue the season and anyone died in that range, that could have been avoided otherwise. Then you're gonna, you know, it's gonna be bad on the flip side. So long and short of it is, I don't know, and it will be interesting to see who makes that decision. But I, but I think, I think somewhere along the way, at some point, somebody needs to step up and say, all right, each person has to take individual responsibility as to whether they con- contract this or not. For example, I know that several school systems across the state, these are the high schools and so on, are now polling parents saying, okay, with the upcoming school season, what is your preference? A, you know, uh, you want to have school, but you want to keep your, your child at home and, and work, you know, completely online. B, we'd like a, a partial schedule where 
our students are on campus maybe two days a week and online the other you know the other three days a week or do you want a complete um, you know complete school with everybody in their chairs like usual like it has been in the past so parents are actually getting an input here because what what will happen is if parents want their children to be on campuses they're going to have to sign some kind of waiver saying look we're willing to take that risk you know, because at some point, and Dr. Fauci going back to day one, and all of them have said, you're never going to get rid of this thing. So at some point, you got to learn how to live with it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not going anywhere. And when, we, when November rolls around, just when you think you're getting a handle on it, here comes another quote-unquote flu season. All right, so you're going to have to deal with it all over again. At some point, you got to learn to coexist. And yeah. I think that's why. Yeah, I mean, you're these... talking specifically with with high schools. You know, I was leaning more towards of, of college, but I do think you bring up a good point. Sooner or later, if they continue with the season, there's going to have there, there's no way that these programs and are these these universities, but especially there's no way when they start letting fans back in to possibly professional sports. There's no way in the world that that you're not signing your health away when you do that. There's no way they're going to sell tickets and take responsibility if you get COVID in a uh, in a stadium. So yeah, I would I would prefer this and I would think you take the risk if you're going to be a spectator. I guess no matter where it is, if you go to spectate that event then it's on you if you end up sick. Yeah, no, it, 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 you're exactly right, but the problem is we live in such a a society today where if you make a decision to do something and something goes wrong, we live in a society today where it's okay to blame somebody else. Yeah, that's you know, for sure. it was a, a decision that you made. That's you for know, sure. so yeah, so if you go to an NFL football game, you know, it was your decision to go. It was your decision to walk in there. You I just know what the I just don't. Are. I don't see how in the world that that is not going to be plastered from the rooftops. They're going to shut every bridge down so that nobody gets sued three or four years from now because you may lose more in a class action lawsuit than you would, you know, revenue by not having fans. It certainly makes sense to me. And And I'm not sure that society wouldn't be better off for it. Not only college and high schools being affected, NFL Players Union this week advises players to stop private group workouts because of COVID-19. The disease now uh, reportedly uh, outbreaks uh, with the Bucks, the 49ers, the Texans, the Cowboys, and the Denver Broncos. So uh, it's not going anywhere. You said it's 600 cases in the last 24 hours here, Kelly? Just in the state of Mississippi. Of course, I'm not surprised the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, as, as old as they are now. <laughs> they are high risk. We'll be right back. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. So thankful none of you are tuned in to what happens between commercial breaks on the Eagle Hour. But Luke Johnson, Bob Getty, Kelly Sander from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Toyota of Hattiesburg brings us the fourth segment of the Eagle Hour every single day. Located on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg and online, Toyota of Hattiesburg. Dot com, proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. 
Well, guys, looks like we will have, cross your fingers, maybe only one finger. Uh, it looked like we were having baseball. It looked like we were not having baseball. But apparently now sources are telling us that the MLB is targeting a 60-game season. Starting around July 24th, we saw uh, just kind of the ping-pong effect. Uh, owners throwing things to players, players throwing things back to owners. But it looks like now we will hopefully have baseball July 24th. A couple players need to sign off on a health and safety protocol. And if the players really mean tell us when and where and we'll show up, then, Kelly, it looks like we will have Major League Baseball. With a t- with a 10-team playoff format, uh, the the thing that that you kind of that that can be kind of exciting about just a sixty game season is if you're the fan of a team that really stinks like me, the Detroit. I'm a fan of the Detroit Tigers. You're only talking about sixty games, okay? So any any team at the pro level in any sport can get hot for a short period of time, you know. So you're only talking about sixty games, which which really multiplies how important it is to win one, right? as opposed to playing 162 games where one game wouldn't necessarily matter that much. But now it's going to make them all the more important. So even your weaker teams have a, have a better shot of you know, qualifying for a 10-team playoff. That's about the only good thing that's going to come out of this. I think both sides the, uh, are realizing the, that. The Nationals, what, were 19-31 and 31 through 50 games last year, I think? And they ended up winning it. So, Bob, put that in football perspective. Um, that would be like the Redskins only having to play like five games, and they could make the playoffs. You think that could happen? No, probably not. No, I think Kelly gets carried away by saying any team could do this. He he forgets that the, I'm a Redskin. He's a Cincinnati Bengal. The, the odds of either one of them getting hot over any period of time are not very good, Santer. I don't know, Bob. Some of these people around here telling me now that we got Joe Burrows. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's <laughs> drugs are a terrible thing, aren't they, Kelly? How <laughs> they, they really distort are. people's got, view of stuff. Joe Burrow's <laughs> yeah. got uh, several several sons, and they all live in the AFC uh, North right now. Yeah. So uh, he's yeah. he's got sons in Pittsburgh and everywhere. That uh, would be amazing, though, wouldn't it, Kelly? I, I know I'm switching to football by saying this. If one of the first big game Burrow's in, if, if he were to defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers, would he become instant like Boomer Esiason status just with that one win? Are we are we really going to waste time talking about this? Because that ain't that ain't gonna okay. <laughs> When is the last time the Bengals beat Pittsburgh, Kelly? I, Bob, I think Jimmy <clears throat> Carter was president. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know when that was a long time ago. I will uh, tell you this: there were a couple of years ago that I thought it was the nastiest playoff game. Uh, maybe it was a playoff game. I don't remember now. Oh yeah, it was. It was the nastiest football game I think I ever watched. Was a Cincinnati Pittsburgh football game. You remember, I remember that? the game you're talking about? I was traveling with William Carey University doing a basketball game for them on on the radio, and my son calls me uh, and he says, uh, "He says, Dad, we're we're going to do it. We're going to beat the Steelers." I said, "Left." He said, "22 seconds. We got this one in the bag." I said, "No, we don't." <laughs> and I was right. The Bengals yeah. blew it in the past 22 seconds. Hey, they can't beat the It Steelers was actually Barack Obama was president of the United States. November the 1st, 2015, the Bengals wow. were 7-0, and defeating wow. Pittsburgh 16-10 to at Pittsburgh. Just five years ago, Kelly. That's when Andy Dalton must have been the quarterback then. 
Yeah, how about that? Well, 23 of 38 that, that, that wasn't, day? That yeah. wasn't a playoff game, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, I don't think there's much chance. I saw a similar experience a couple of years ago in New Orleans when the Redskins went ahead. I want to say it's like 15, 16 points with three or four minutes left in the game. And uh, my wife said, you probably ought to sit down. I think it's a little too early to start celebrating. And sure enough, the Saints cheated their way back into that one, got a bunch of calls because they always get the calls in New Orleans. And uh, I'm just telling you right now, Bob, knowing you and Angela, like I know you would not listen to Angela. You'd have been dead years ago. <laughs> well, you're probably right about that. You're probably right. And you do agree, right, Luke? The Saints always get the calls from the officials. I mean, come on. Oh, whatever. There you go, living in that alternate universe. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, Steelers, what, what I mean, the Bengals actually started that year 8-0, and and then at one wow. point they were 10-2 and going into week 14. And then what happened? They lost to the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, they beat the 49ers, they lost to the Broncos, they beat the Ravens, and then they lost to the Steelers 18-16 first round of the playoffs. I'm telling you, you say go back to Barack Obama 2015. That was five years. So they beat the Steelers once in five years. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it means they've lost 10 of the last 11 games they played against Pittsburgh, Kelly. Well, we got rid of uh, Tom Brady. Next we'll get rid of him in, hopefully. <laughs> You know, we'll get up there toward five. Just remember, boys and girls, Joe Burrow is your daddy. There you go. There we go. And Kelly's Super Bowl dreams are still alive, although very distant. Very, very Indeed. distant. Yes. Indeed. That wraps it up for today. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We hope you'll join us then. And until then, Southern Miss. To the, to the top. top. Into the Talk Mississippi Media Production.